Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning, and I ask that you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we're reading just one verse, verse 43. We're going to be talking about strangers today. Matthew 25, 43 says, I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Verse 44, then shall they say also, answering him, saying, answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger? or naked, or sick, or in prison, it did not minister unto thee. Then shall he answer them and say, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did not, did it not to one of these, the least of these, ye did it not to me. Now let's go over to John chapter 1 and verse 11. John chapter 1 and verse 11. John 1.11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would now take the Word of God and have it to be the impact upon us. Through the Holy Spirit, may it have freedom, and that the Word of God may touch our hearts even today. Bless everyone that is here, those that are online, those that are listening to us in every manner. May it be for your honor and glory, for prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. As a missionary, I travel all over the world, and I see a lot of different cultures. I teach here in our college a lot of classes on the aspects of how a missionary can adapt to a culture. And one of the things that we do is we teach that the cultures of the world are really divided into two groups according to worldview. And we call some cultures task-oriented cultures, and other cultures relationship-oriented cultures. And usually, most cultures of the world, you can put into one of those two categories. Here in America, we're really a task-oriented culture. We look at the task as a virtue. Work is a virtue. Staying busy is a good thing. Having a to-do list to get things done during the day, have a task list is important to us. That's the way we think. If you don't do tasks, you're lazy. And we look at that as not being virtuous. And that's the kind of culture we live in. And there are many others around the world in the same way. But other cultures, and I was just in one in the country of Nepal a few weeks ago, and they're relationship cultures. To them, the task is not important. To them, the important thing is relationships, friendships, how you treat one another. And this involves a myriad of different things. And I, in our classes that we teach on this, we get into a lot of detail and spend many hours studying those differences and explaining how people think differently. But it was really brought home to me while I was in Nepal. I was, uh, had the privilege of traveling about four or five hours south of Kathmandu close to the Indian border, to a little village. 
And this village was a very strong Hindu village, but it had also Muslims in the village. It was a mixture. And uh, even some, uh, uh, some, some Buddhists also. And the home that we were staying in, uh, the man that brought us there, that was our translator, was a preacher in Kathmandu. But he was visiting his family, his parents' home, and we decided to stay in his, in, in, in his parents' home. And his father was a Hindu guru, a leader in the Hindu religion there. And he received us very graciously with much hospitality. And we spent two nights there. And during the day, we would talk and have some time with him. And I noticed that he was always very concerned about my welfare. His hospitality was the best. On the second day we were there, we walked through the village and went to the Muslim mosque and walked in there. And they knew that we were Christians, but they received us openly and graciously. And we sat down and talked with them. It's not like a lot of people think, oh, they're, 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 they're ready to kill us. No, they were hospitable. Why? Because to them, you don't have strangers. You treat everyone nicely because relationships are important. Later on, on the the last night we were there, my host at the home that I was in, the Hindu Hindu guru, wanted to talk about some things from the Bible. We spent about two, three hours, and his biggest concern was that his children, who are now not Hindu anymore, especially his son, who was a Christian, if he would take care of him in his old age. He was very concerned about that. And I showed him the Bible that that is a very important principle. The Bible teaches that the children take care of their parents in their old age. And he was relieved by that. And he really enjoyed our conversation. And it was a a small step into us presenting the gospel to him. In fact, he later on, I found out the next day that he was having some repercussions in the village. Because they were upset that he was hosting Christians in his home. And they were talking... But he adamantly said, no, they're my guests. The relationship is important. And I felt as I left there that I was not a stranger to this man. He honored me with some special gifts, a costume of his tribe, a badge of honor that they give to the elderly. I felt very honored while I was there. I did not feel like I was a stranger. But the question I've got today, and the verses that we read here is that in many times, who is the strangest stranger of all here on the earth? And sadly, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people have no idea who he is. Many people don't want to know who he is. Many people consider him their enemy. Especially in our nation, which initially was a Christian nation, we find, how can that be? How is it going that direction? As we go out and talk with people when we're doing soul winning, it's surprising how many people know so little about Jesus Christ. Now, I expect that when I go to a mission field like Nepal, where they don't have hardly any... Christianity is less than 1% of the population, and many people there don't even know who Jesus Christ is. And so your job is to try to explain who he is. And the goal is that he not become a, he's not a stranger anymore. But I ask myself, is, 
If he's a stranger, as he's talked about here, he says it came in, in John chapter 1, verse 11. We said, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But my question was, was there some place that Jesus is not a stranger? And I find that there are some places that he's not a stranger. For instance, he's not a stranger in heaven. In heaven, he's well known. In Psalm 19, verse 1, it talks about how the heavens declare his glory. He's very well known in heaven. In fact, the entire operation of heaven is based on giving him glory. Psalm, Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The same way as we read the birth of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2. I won't read the passage there. I won't go there. But remember the angels announced his birth. Remember? And they said glory to God in the highest on earth peace because they knew who had arrived here on the earth the Lord is not a stranger to his father either when he was baptized and after he came up the father said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased he's not a stranger to the Holy Spirit because the Spirit gives witness of him constantly but there's another thing that you might be surprised at. He's not a stranger in hell either. You realize that everyone in hell is well acquainted to who Jesus Christ is? Think about that. In fact, they're very concerned <laughs> that they did not take advantage of him while they were here on this earth. The Bible says that Satan and the devils and the demons are well aware of who Jesus Christ is. We find time and time again, while Jesus was on earth, when he came across the demons, they recognized him immediately. They knew who he was. In fact, they said in Mark chapter 5 and verse 7, Thou art the Son of God. You know, it's really strange to me that even the devil and his demons know more about God than the average American. That's really sad. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 7, we find the demon that was in the man from Gadarene saying, and he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. It's really interesting that there's a lot of things around this world and this universe and this creation that are very much aware of who Jesus is. Now, we would not think of our family being strangers. You go into a home and you see a mother and a father. You don't think them to be strangers to their children. Well, we used to think that way. Things are changing. <laughs> it's not that common anymore. How about a, a businessman and his employees? You think that they have a relationship 
They know each other. Yet, we're getting, especially in our society, more and more polarized. We're talking about elections coming up, and people are getting more and more polarized because of that. There's more and more division. There's more hatred. We're griping about crime, about hate crimes especially. And we're wondering, what's going on? Well, because we become strangers amongst ourselves and also the most important person of all is a stranger to many of us too. However, this should not surprise us. This is really nothing new. When Jesus Christ was born on the earth, his parents there in Bethlehem were looking for a place to stay and they were treated as strangers there also. There was no place for them in the inn. And therefore he was born in a manger because he was rejected even at that time. It's nothing new. It's been going on now for thousands of years. But the goal that we have is to make him a friend, not a stranger. Now, if he's a stranger, let me ask you, does he want people to know him? That's a very important question, too. The reason I gave the illustration at the beginning of the sermon about the man in Nepal is because I was there in his home, and they gave me the best room and the best bed they had in their home. They treated me with such great... And, every, every, and during, uh, the second day, we went out in the morning and visited at mosque and things like that. But in the afternoon, in the heat of the afternoon, uh, the rest of my group that were with us decided to go into town. They had some things to do. They needed to visit another village also. <coughs> I was a little tired. So I said, I'll just go back up to the room that I'm staying and rest for a little bit. And the... The host that I was staying with was really concerned about that. He was coming up every few minutes bringing me something to drink or something to eat. He, he was really trying to be very hospitable. And I, I pretty, in fact, I didn't get a chance to rest because he wouldn't let me rest in a way. But I knew that he was concerned about my welfare, but also he wanted to be friendly. And I expressed that to him. And that's why at the very end when I left the next day, he was very appreciative that I took the time to become his friend because he did the same thing to me. And the thing about this is, the reason I'm trying to get this across is, Christ has a great desire to have a relationship with every single human being on the earth. He has, in fact, it is so important to him that he will pay a great price for it. Think about one of the reasons that we don't really have so many friends sometimes. We'll gripe about it. Well, I just don't have the time. Friendship requires time, doesn't it? If we really enjoy friends, what do we want to do with them? Spend time. We have a relationship among the members of this church. And we try to create activities where we get together. Now, as a church, we realize that our goal is not a social purpose. We're not here to have a club. The membership is not here just to have fun together. Now, it's not wrong to do that, 
We want that to happen, but we have other goals besides that. And one of the main goals we have is to have others know about Christ. That is one of our goals. But even as a body of Christ, as members, we like to get together. We'll spend time together. Brother Daniel was talking about uh, next Saturday, the youth are going to get together and have a, have, a, have a reunion. Why do they do that? They enjoy getting together. They're building relationships. It's important in their lives. And we encourage it. But the question is, if we're doing it among ourselves, how much are we doing it with Jesus? Because that's the most important one of all. And to have a relationship with Jesus, we must give him what? Time. Time is important. Another thing to have a good relationship is considering their needs and desires. When a couple start getting together, they want to, they want to have this relationship. And I can remember my children when they began to get to know the, the person that they married later on. I would joke about how much time they would spend on the telephone. How many hours they would spend talking. What are you talking about? What are you, we're just getting to know each other. We want to know what our likes are. What things, and you know, that's a very common thing. You get together, especially the young lady, she wants to know, well, what do you like? What are your desires? What are, you, what are the things that you don't like? And my wife and I have been married now for 43 years. Uh, we get to know our likes and dislikes pretty much. In fact, we, like, we've got to the point now we know what we, what we think even. Because we spend so much time in our relationship, but also to us it's very important. Well, it's the same thing with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you really want to have a relationship with him, if he's not, your, not a stranger but a friend, you want to know everything about him. What is he like? What does he want? What is his character like? And we want to please that character. We want to please those desires. Well, let's be honest. One of the things that makes us as Christians not do that is our carnality, right? And the same thing that creates division among the friends here creates division with him too. Think about the friends that you've had that are no longer your friends. Oh, that's sad, isn't it? We regret that. But sometimes we wonder, well, maybe that's the same thing we're doing with our Lord Jesus Christ. We might have had a relationship with him for a while, but now we're estranged from him. That's an interesting word, estranged. Someone who's been a friend that's now become a stranger. One of the things that we are very concerned about when we're dealing with our missionaries that are working in foreign fields is maintaining relationships while they're gone. And over the years, we've had a lot of different ways of helping them not to lose that. For instance, uh, we do a lot of stuff online now, don't we? We can, um, I have a son who's in Argentina working as a missionary, and I constantly am on the phone talking to him, or now, which is great, now I was in the mission field when I was a young boy. And I can remember a telephone call. If they called by the phone, the long distance charges were so high that if we got a telephone call from the United States, it was who died? 
what emergency is occurring? Because you just didn't do it. At that time, we used letters. Handwritten letters. <laughs> we don't even know about that today hardly more. We might use texts. But that time, you go to the post office. In fact, there in Mexico where I grew up, we had a post office that had the whole wall of post office boxes that you'd go and receive your mail. The missionaries called that place the Wailing Wall. Why would you call that? Well, we'd go there and wail for mail because we wanted something. Please send us something. <laughs> we want notice from home. We want news. Well, nowadays we have the electronic means and I can do a video call to my son. But that's still not enough. In fact, a week from this Wednesday, my wife and I are flying to Argentina to spend three weeks with our children down there. We'll be th- we won't be here for Thanksgiving, I'm sorry. But we're going to be with them. But that's important, is it not? They are part of this church. And we're trying to maintain that relationship. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be friends with anybody. In fact, he was, a, he was criticized for the friendships that he had. He was criticized because he sat down with sinners. He was criticized because he would talk to people that the others looked down on. But on the other hand, sometimes he would sit down with the wealthy too. He would sit down with the leaders. He was willing to talk to anybody. It didn't matter who they were. Here he was sitting at a well in the province of Samaria and a pretty bad woman comes along. She comes along at a time when most women would not come along because she'd been rejected by the whole society. But he's willing to talk to her, the Samaritan woman. He leads her to the Lord and it makes an impact upon a whole village, a whole town. Really, there's a lot that he's a stranger to today. Let's look at some verses. We received already, we already read John 1.11. Remember? To them that received him not. He was sent here to this earth, and even though he was sent, and he came to his own, it says, his own received him not. You know, that phrase is one of the most important and it really is one of the saddest phrases that you can find in the Bible. Because what happens to someone who does not receive him? We call that the unpardonable sin. The one who does not receive Jesus Christ has no hope of living eternity with him. It is something that he cannot forgive. If you reject him, he cannot forgive that. He can forgive you for murder. He can forgive you for the most heinous sin that we can think of. But that is a sin that he cannot forgive. If you reject him, your destiny is assured. In Romans chapter 1 verse 21, you know, uh, when the apostle Paul wrote this book to the Romans... He started out in chapter 1 by talking about the Gentiles, those who were not Jews, and how as pagans, as heathen, and they were worshiping idols, how bad they were. And he went on to a lot of different details. And he, he really, this is the chapter that talks about 
some of the worst sins that one can imagine. And he says he gave them over to a depraved mind. But here in, in verse 21, Romans 1, 21, it says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their own imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. One of the reasons that sometimes we are so concerned about our nation and the society and the direction in which our nation is going here recently is because our nation has a history of knowing God. It was initially founded on some very important biblical principles. Our founding fathers quoted the Bible quite a bit. In fact, the book book of Deuteronomy is one of the most quoted books in the history of our nation for the founding fathers. They used it a lot. So they knew the Bible well. And so this knowledge has been part of our history for a long time. But in the last 60 or 70 years, things have changed quite a bit. And it's not just that there are many that have not even heard about Jesus. There are others who, having heard, having some knowledge of the Bible... Not only do they reject it, but they even attack it. They hate it. I've been watching the news recently, and I've been seeing some things that, uh, that just uh, appall me. I saw just yesterday a news article about some people who were protesting abortion, and they were in a place, and the people got so upset with them that they grabbed the Bible from them, tore it into pieces, and started eating the pages. I think to myself, how do people get that far? Well, the Bible talks about it here. But not only are they already, some of them have a knowledge of God, others are blinded by Satan. In John chapter 12 and verse 40, we find that there are many that, even though they might want to, Satan has blinded them. John 12, 40. And he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. One of the things that I was noticing in my recent trip to um, India and Nepal and studying those religions there, both Buddhism and Hinduism, and I was spending a lot of time with a missionary that was working there, and I had four young men who were going on a survey trip to understand that part of the world because they want to become missionaries there. And we were spending a lot of time studying and getting to know those cultures. And one of the things that really fascinated me was the foundational aspects of those religions was this, that you don't live in the world that we know as reality. The goal of those religions is for you to live in an alternate world, a spiritual world. You, you reject this world, and you try to live in a spiritual world. And if you do that, if you, if you attain that level, and each one of those religions has different ways of expressing it, but if you really boil it down to what the basics are, the idea is that no, you don't accept this reality, you try to live in an alternate reality whereby you eventually can surpass the problems of this reality. 
That's the idea. And I began thinking, wait a minute. I'm seeing a lot of that type of thinking here in America. Lately, it's been so surprising to me how people deny reality. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, people say there are how many different multiply dozens or uh, I don't even know. Even, I would be surprised if we got it up to the hundreds of genders. You know, they're talking about how many different kinds of genders they are. We all know that there's only in reality two genders. Ask any biology student if you're really honest that that's what they are. And if you make that declaration, it's like, how dare you do that? Recently, it's become a big issue. Can a man become pregnant? Well, obviously, we know in reality, it cannot happen. That's reality. Well, they don't care about reality. They care about this alternate reality they've created. And, you, and if you don't accept it, you're an evil person. Well, I just went to a country that they teach that all the time. And I see what condition they're in. One of the reasons that we're on a collision course with a lot of this teaching is because the Bible teaches something totally different. It talks about the reality that we live in and how we must deal with it and how we must, during the time that we're here, have a relationship with Christ. And that is a reality here. Not an alternate reality. Not another world. Now, this is nothing new. When we study the history of the church, we find that even in the very early years of the church there was a group called the Gnostics. And Gnosticism taught the very same thing, that there were two different worlds, a physical world that was evil and a spiritual world that was good. And they said, don't live in the physical world, live in the spiritual world. And that was taught and became a very controversial thing. In fact, a lot of the apostles in their writing of the New Testament condemned that thinking quite a bit. Both the apostle John and the apostle Paul touched on those subjects multiple times in their writing of the Bible and how they rejected that teaching. But it became a great controversial thing for a long time, up for the first three or four hundred years of the existence of the church. Eventually it kind of died out, but you know that in the last 50 or 60 years has been a resurgence of Gnosticism, openly. That's what they call themselves. Gnosticism, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And they believe that those kind of things are coming are, are to come back. In fact, in the last 80 or 90 years, they found some new books that were hidden for many years, written by the Gnostics, and they become very popular, and people are beginning to print them again and follow them and become a big thing. But it really has the same basis as what these religions have always existed. They're trying to deny reality. But when they do that, they willfully walk in darkness. They're not really wanting to know about Jesus. They want to create another world for themselves. Now, these that we've mentioned so far as being strangers are the the unbelievers, the lost. And that's a sad thing. Our goal is to take the gospel to the lost. That they become strangers no more to Jesus Christ and that that Christ is not a stranger to them. But what about Christians? What about those who've already made a profession of faith? What about those who say, yes, I have accepted Christ as my Savior. Can you still be a stranger to Him? Sometimes, yes. 
That was true with the apostles on several different occasions. The disciples, on several occasions, when they saw him, did not recognize him. And people, oh, well, that might have happened after he got resurrected. No, even during his lifetime. For instance, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 50, we find that he was walking on the water. Remember that storm on the Sea of Galilee? And the disciples were alone, and Christ had sent them across, and the sea decided to approach them. And how did he approach them? He was walking on the water, remember? And when he came, they didn't recognize him. Mark chapter 6 and verse 50 says, For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he called with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Have you ever thought that if Christ actually came to earth, you wouldn't recognize him? As a Christian? As a believer? Wouldn't that be a fear? Now, we don't believe that Christ comes now like he did in the Old Testament times. We'll call a theophany. In other words, representing something else, and he comes in that manner like an angel or something like that. That doesn't happen today. We know that when Christ comes again, we'll know about it. We don't have to worry about that. But my question is, if he did come, would we recognize him? If we could see him as he was during the time that he was on the earth, would we be just as guilty as the disciples? And I think that sometimes we, we, we cannot exempt ourselves from that. Because we're not that well, we don't spend that much time with him. Here he was walking on the water. They said, I can't believe he could do that. So therefore, it can't be him. So if it's not him, it's something to be feared. They were afraid. You know, sometimes we can be afraid that if Jesus Christ shows up at certain times... It's going to scare us because we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. Think about that. Has there ever been a moment in your life you say, boy, I sure hope Christ doesn't come at this moment because I'm going to get caught. You say, oh, I don't do that. Yes, you do. We're all called into that category as Christians. But after he was resurrected, it happened several times too. Remember the two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus? They walked with him for quite a while, maybe several hours. And it wasn't until he sat down and prayed, asking for God to bless the meal, that they realized who he was. Remember Mary at the tomb. When he approached her, she thought he was the gardener. I wonder how many times Christ tries to work in our lives and we do not recognize what he's doing. Hmm? Sometimes it can be through events that are not that pleasant. Sometimes we have to realize that God is letting something happen in our life that might be difficult, but he's doing it for our own good. I remember... A story a long time ago there in Mexico. We had a man who um, we gotten saved. He'd accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He was a leader among his tribe. But he'd had a life before he got saved of 
a lot of problems. He'd had several wives, several ladies. He had an official wife, but he had some mistresses. And he had children, families with the other ones. When he got saved, he realized that that was not right. He needed, he needed to do things the way the Bible told. So he decided that the other women that he'd had, he would provide for them. He built them homes, but he sent them far off away. And he said, I will not be seeing you anymore. Uh, this is not right. You needed to live a separate life now. He provided for them. He did what was right as far as financially, but he did not have a relationship with them anymore. Well, that went that way for a few years, and eventually one of the women that he'd had a relationship with sent him a message and said, one of the children is deathly ill. I need your help. Well, of course, when he heard that, he decided to go and see what was going on, but didn't realize it was a trap. She had laid for him a trap. And when he approached and, and, and met her there, he fell into the trap. Immediately he confessed it to the church. And about two or three weeks later, while he was in town, he was crossing a street and he got run over by a bus. And it, he was already a crippled man. He already had, was born with deformed legs. But this was even worse. It made him worse. And so my father visited him in the hospital and he was very surprised by his reaction. The man said, I deserve what I got. God punished me for what I did. He recognized what had happened. And instead of him being down or disappointed, he says, it just proves that I'm a son of God because he punished me. <laughs> he looked at the good side. And sometimes we have to realize that, that if we really have a true relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and with God the Father, when we do something wrong, if he loves us, what's he going to do? He's going to punish us. That's not a bad thing. That's for our own good. I'm a father. I have children. I know that when I punish them, I do it not because I hate them, but because I love them. And I'm trying to teach them a lesson. My father does the same thing. So sometimes when these things happen, instead of us being all torn up about it, we be worried, we should say, thank you that you love us so much. It's part of the relationship. You know, sometimes punishment is part of a relationship. I realized with my children that after I punished them, if I expressed love to them, they would accept my love. You know, it's really amazing how God made us. That when we realize that someone does that for our own good, we love them even more. A lot of times we think, if I punish my children, they will reject me because of it. No. Those who do not punish their children will find out that children do not love them. I've seen that over and over. A true and proper discipline engenders more love. A deeper relationship. A trust. I thank God that my children trust me. I constantly, my, my son, who's in Mexico right now, he lives in Argentina, but he's in Mexico on a mission trip there, sent me last night several messages and saying, Dad, I need, to, I need, I need this help. I, I, I need some counsel. And we spent some time talking and conversing and texting. He's also concerned about the new pastor we're looking to have here. It's going to affect him a lot. So we've been conversing about that. And so I appreciate that he's comes to me and asks for advice. 
But this didn't happen recently. It started from a very early age. It's something that had to be maintained and depend, and it was, was maintained because of the proper way of doing our relationship. But there's another something that's very interesting that I would like to finish with. He likes to take strangers and make them into sons. We find scripture, this happened many times. I think the most beautiful example of this is with King David. King David had a relationship with the son of the first king, Saul, if you remember. Saul had a son named Jonathan. And David and Jonathan were very good friends. They had a very close relationship. But later on, the relationship between Saul and David soured, even though Jonathan and Saul maintained their friendship until the very end. Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. But Jonathan had a son. A son who had some deformities. David lost contact with that son. His name was Mephibosheth. And over the years, he he lost the contact, but then one day he remembered that friendship, that relationship he'd had with Jonathan. And because of that, he looked up and found where Mephibosheth was. And you know what he did? He made him one of his sons. He took him into the palace and gave him all the privileges that he gave to any of his other sons. Mephibosheth was a stranger to David for many years. But eventually, he became like a son to him. It's the same thing with Joseph and his brothers. Remember how Joseph became a stranger? His, bro- his, jo- his brothers, if you don't find that, uh, a relationship that was broken in the family, it was Joseph and his brothers. Remember they sold, they tried to kill him. Then after they didn't kill him, they tried to sell him into slavery. Well, they did. If anyone had a reason to hate his brothers, it was Joseph. But what did he do? When he had the chance, he restored them. And he became like a father to them. And he saved their lives. Christ wants to take every stranger in this world and make them his son. He loves them that much. One of the goals that we have as our church is what? Take every stranger. You know, the emphasis I can remember our previous pastors was always that we be a friendly church. That anyone that comes in here is going to be greeted. And I trust that we keep that up. Don't forget, if you see someone here that you've never met before, go and greet them. Be friendly. We want to have relationships with them. We want to be friendly. And we know that because of that, because our, our Lord gives us the example. And through that, that we might reach others for Christ. On Saturdays, we have a Bible give out here on the, in the parking lot. What do we try to do? Be friendly. Anyone that wants to come by and talk to us, we want to do it. Now, what happens? We have thousands of people drive by that highway, and most of them say, we don't want to be your friends. That's right. That's sad. We wish that we could change that. But we'll do our part. But remember, friendship is a two-way street. It requires both sides to participate. If you want to be friendly with Christ, you've got to participate as much as he wants to participate. He's willing to do his part. The question is, are you willing to do your part? Remember I said before, it requires some things, some time, some sacrifice, some getting, some getting to know them, sometimes giving up things that you would like 
to please them. Those are all things that maintain a friendship. I trust that you're doing that with the Lord Jesus Christ today. Our Father, I pray right now that you would now bless this message, that you would take this concept of Christ being a stranger and make it touch a heart to make them realize that they don't want to be a stranger. They want to have that friendship with Jesus. Sometimes we enjoy the friendships with each other, and that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that, but Father, of all the people that I have relationships, I want to have a relationship with you, with my Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to know him intimately. I want to spend time with him. I want him to spend time with me. I know that he wants to do that. But Father, it's a sad thing that in our life that we spend is very agitated, full of activities and tasks, that we forget about this relationship. And oh, Father, if there's a Christian here today, a believer, a child of God that is not maintaining their relationship with you, may they come before you and say, Lord, I make a promise that I'll increase my relationship with you. I'll spend more time with you. I will look you up. And I know that he will receive each one. But Father, we also pray, if there's anyone here, I'm in our midst, that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they may realize that they can start a relationship with Jesus even today. That he's willing to forgive their sins, to pay for their sins, to offer them the free salvation that only he can give, if they're willing to receive that. So Father, if there's someone that has that desire, may they even now come to you and ask for it even this morning. For pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother John, what are we going to sing? 162. Would you stand with us, please? Let's stand and we're going to sing number 162. And if God is touching your heart, the altars are open. If you want to talk to me, I'll be glad to counsel you. We have other people too also. Whatever your need is, the invitation is open. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. Coming home. Coming home. Nevermore to roam. Open wide thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years. Now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. Coming home. Coming home. Nevermore to roam. Open wide thy 
thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. I'm tired of sin and straying, Lord. Now I'm coming home. I'll trust thy love, believe thy word. Lord, I'm coming home, coming home, coming home, nevermore to roam. Open wide thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. Thanks so much for your presence here this morning. We invite you back again at 6 o'clock for our evening service. Brother Daniel Flores will be preaching for us tonight. We're looking forward to that. And also during the week, pray for a lot of us who have different activities. I'll be going to Fargo, North Dakota to be teaching a class there in a college there. So I'd appreciate your prayers while I'm traveling. And I think my wife is going to be going to South Carolina on Wednesday. So we have a lot of people going to be traveling a bit this time. Brother Wayne will be back, I think, uh, by Thursday. And then, of course, on Saturday, Brother Pat Bujak will be flying in with his wife and two children. And we're expecting them here to Sunday as he'll be candidate as a new pastor for the church. So please get the message out to all those that were not here today, especially for next Sunday. We'd love to have a good crowd here. And uh, it's going to affect our church for many years in the future. It's a very important time for our church. So we really want you to be here as much as you can. So we appreciate your presence here today, and we'll see you tonight. Dismiss us in our song with John. Page 533 if you need it, Till the Whole World Knows. Till the whole world knows. Till the whole world knows. I will shout and sing of Christ my King till the whole world knows. You're dismissed. <laughs>